He's from San Diego, California. You'll notice on your, your uh, forms that he is going to speak three times on a biblical perspective of wealth. Last night I was talking to Skip about the economy in San Diego, and it's real clear that Skip has prepared this message for the future. <laughs> trying to get ready for that uh, possible day when he may have to deal with this issue. Skip Shantz, please, would you welcome. This is the, this is the small one, so it'll... Good morning. Well, Winston... Uh, I want you to know how much I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to speak on a subject that is, it is as, as near and dear to your heart as money. <laughs> I know that... Uh, more dear than you. <laughs> <laughs> they really know you around here, don't they? I know it took a, it took a lot for you not to handle this one yourself because... Uh, so uh, so dear to you. The handout going around, and uh, it's not intended to be uh, something you have to use to take your notes on, but it'll give us a little bit of a, a track to run on, and uh, use it if you'd like. Fold it up and put it away if you don't want it, and we'll just refer to it from time to time. You, you guys are probably wondering what in the world is a commercial real estate developer who's, uh, as Jack said, out there in the marketplace kicking and scratching to stay alive, talking on this subject, particularly in an audience like this where we've got all kinds of uh, financial advisors and planners and insurance people. <clears throat> and uh, the answer to that's really simple. The way that, that they select the speakers around here, it's got a simple method. And in this particular case, they determined that uh, I had probably lost more money than anybody else they could think of, and therefore I got the, got the selection. And uh, now that we know their method, I'll leave it up to you to determine why they have asked Walt to speak on sin later today. <laughs> They know you here too, don't they? <laughs> well, this is, uh, just to give you a, just a little bit of a indication of where we're going, this is a subject that, as you know, could be come at from a number of different directions. And uh, this is not a uh, study in economics. This is not a, a how-to study on finances. Uh, that's not where we're headed with this. The, uh, as you can see from the top of your handout, the purpose of the study, and it's, it's really critical that we kind of log that in our mind as we go through the various issues that we'll deal with, but the purpose of the study is to gain God's view of riches and then determine how we should live in light of that view. To gain God's view, what does God have to say about the issue of riches? Now, it's important at this point to point out 
what we really mean by riches. What is a definition of riches? And there's several ways we could define it, but for purposes of this study, riches are being defined as material possessions or resources beyond our basic needs. So that's what we're dealing with. We, we want to look at a biblical perspective of riches. Are we together? Everybody have a handout? Anybody not have a handout? Anybody not want a handout? Okay, why don't we just uh, ask the Lord to, to be with us for our time this morning. Father, we do clearly understand that we are totally dependent upon you to teach us anything this morning. And certainly we are uh, very dependent upon you to uh, be able to take it into our life and apply it and have it change the way that we live. And Lord, I would just uh, echo the words that Don shared this morning, that, uh, that we would pray that we would leave here and take something with us, that we would not leave here the same as we came. I pray that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher, would be our guide, uh, would be the one to uh, show us the truth that you have for each one of us today. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for your watch care over us. And we just commit this session to you in the name of Christ. Amen. I just want to say that... Uh, probably goes without saying, but uh, I will say it anyway. I struggle with uh, many of the issues that we'll look at today. This is not, uh, you're not looking at somebody up here who uh, has got this stuff down pat and, uh, and just kind of breezing through life, applying all these things and <clears throat> not tripping up or not getting sidetracked or not getting pulled by the, the uh, temptations of, of riches and all that that entails, which we'll get into. I struggle with it. And I'm not ashamed to say that I struggle with it because like many biblical truths, uh, we are to hold up a standard that's higher than our performance so that we, we have something to move towards, so that we can anticipate change that'll take place in our lives, so we can be uh, renewed by the uh, change, by the renewing of our mind as we grasp a hold of these various things. And so, uh, we are all in this boat together, and uh, when I was asked to deal with this topic, uh, there are many times during the course of the last several months as I've been working on this that I thought, what in the world am I doing dealing with this topic? I'd be studying certain issues that I'm struggling with right at the same time. And, uh, but it, it continued to bring to light the, the uh, seriousness of this subject and the ability that it has to... Uh, to really get us sideways with God, to really take us out of the direction that we really want to head with our lives. And uh, so what we want to look at is we want to try to go away with an understanding of God's view. If we can't understand God's view, then we don't know how to respond, right? We have to nail down God's perspective on a subject that I feel has been pretty misunderstood. And there have been a lot of views that uh, kind of have been kicked around. And uh, so we're going to look not at a how-to situation, uh, not at a study of economics, but at trying to gain God's view of this subject. 
Now, as you can see there, just to kind of let you know where we're headed, there are, there are five basic topics or uh, key thoughts that we'll go through. A couple of them are very, very basic and we'll run through them pretty rapidly. Uh, some of the other ones are not as, not as basic and we'll kind of camp on those a little bit and spend some time on them. The first one will be the principle governing possessions. Then we'll get into the purpose of possessions. And then the dangers of riches. And that really is the, is the core part of the study that we'll go through today. Then we'll look at the, we'll turn the corner from the dangers of riches and we'll get into the positive side and we'll look at the benefits of riches. And then we'll wrap up our time with a short uh, portion on contentment. So that's where we're headed as we move through this thing together. Now let's look at uh, a few verses and uh, Let's turn, to, let's turn together to 1 Samuel 2, verses 7 and 8. I'm at the point where I haven't bought into uh, bifogals yet, but, and I can, everything from four feet out is totally clear, and Everything from about four feet in gets blurrier the closer it gets. I can read my notes, but I can't read the Bible, so you'll see me put my glasses on when we go to the Bible. And I'll probably uh, be into some bifocals pretty shortly. Okay, we're dealing with the principle governing riches, the biblical principle. I'm sorry, governing possessions. There's a distinction between possessions and riches. Riches being possessions or material resources beyond our basic needs. Possessions, as we're dealing with it in this first section, would also include our basic needs. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, the Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low, he also exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he set the world on them. Flip over to the right to 1 Chronicles 29. Really, uh, this passage really ministered to me. 1 Chronicles 29, I'm going to read verse 2 and then 10 through 16. This is King David that we're talking about here in verse 2. Now with all my ability, I have provided for the house of my God the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, and the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, and wood for the things of wood, onyx, stones, and inlaid stones, stones of antimony, and stones of various colors, and all kinds of precious stones and alabaster in abundance. Then down to verse 10. So David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed art thou, O Lord, God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, thine is the dominion, O Lord, and thou dost exalt thyself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from thee, and thou dost rule over all, and in thy hand is power and might, 
and it lies in thy hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? For all things come from thee and from thy hand we have given thee. For we are sojourners before thee and tenants as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no hope. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided to build thee a house for thy holy name, it is from thy hand and all is thine. And an interesting observation from this passage, particularly from verse 2 and 16, is that even that which David produced, that which he brought to the table from a human perspective, he recognized the ultimate source was from God. Everything is from God. And, and we deal in that. We deal in an arena where much of the time the appearance is that we have generated something, right? That we have produced it. That it is, has come from our hand and from our efforts, from our hard work. And although we may be allowed to participate in the process and have the joy that David had, of bringing certain things to the table, presenting them to the Lord, he knew that everything came from God. He was merely giving to God what was God's already. And so we see in this a principle, and the foundational principle governing possessions is the fact that all possessions come from God. He is the true owner of all wealth. He takes it in, he dis distributes it as he chooses, he spreads it around the way he desires. He's in control of all possessions. So where do we fit in? Our responsibility is to live out life with the issues that God brings our way, responding properly to them. To live with the empowering of the Holy Spirit and the revelation of the Word of God as exiles and aliens. And I, most versions don't use this word, but as, as tenants. Those of us in the real estate business, we're tenants. Exiles and aliens and tenants in this world. So with, with this kind of as the foundation for the principle of possessions, I'd like to use the analogy, most of you here have probably heard the analogy of a card of uh, a hand of cards. If many of you heard it, how many of you heard of it? I'm surprised. I thought maybe uh, you, you'd heard that. But the illustration is that we're all dealt a hand of cards in life, and we're dealt an initial hand of cards, which consists of gifts and abilities and uh, our place in life and uh, our material resources. And we're all dealt a hand of cards, and that throughout life. God continues to deal us additional cards. And that really our responsibility is to respond properly to the cards. Our responsibility is not to determine what the cards are. God determines that. God has determined how he's gifted us, right? None of us chose where we were born. None of us chose uh, the, the natural gifts that, that God has given us. This was in God's hands. And he's dealt us a hand of cards. 
And the important thing to God is not what cards we have been dealt, but how we play the hand. Not only the initial hand, but the continuing hand that we receive as we go through life. Some of them real tough ones. Some of them not so tough. Some of them we look at as blessings, others we don't. But how we respond is the key, how we play those cards. And the core issue in this il illustration is that it is faithfulness to opportunity. The cards represent the opportunity that God's given us. And so I don't have to worry about comparison. I don't have to worry about how am I doing in comparison to somebody else because that somebody else may have three aces and two kings. And I may have a three and a seven and you know, a pair of twos and a six. And God looks at me and he says, this is what I gave you. And so this is what I want you to be faithful to. Now, this guy over here, Winston Parker, I gave him four aces and a king. And Winston, that's what you have to be responsible for. And each one of us, God knows the hand of cards that he gave us. Does that make sense? So possessions in general and riches in particular are merely one of the cards that God has dealt us. And so that's the basic principle that I want us to nail down, that, that possessions are simply one of the opportunities that God has provided us, to which we are required to respond, and for which we will someday give an account as to how we responded doesn't matter what we're doing in comparison to other people because we're, we all got a different hand of cards. Comparison is never a factor. It's always a one-on-one -on -one issue between us and God. And this is God's handicap system for us. See, I can say, if I have to stand before God and uh, give an account for my life, and I have to compare myself with a Billy Graham, boy, I, I would be nervous. I think most of us would be. In the same way that if I had to go out and play golf against Jack Nicklaus, I, <laughs> I might enjoy doing it, but you know, I wouldn't even think about winning. But give me enough handicap strokes, and I'm, I'm right there, right? And so the fact that we're all given a different opportunity in essence, is God's handicap system for us. So with that kind of as a, as a, as a foundation for the, the principle governing possessions, let's move into the purpose. If that's the principle of possessions, then what's the purpose of possessions? And let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. Now, as we focus on this aspect, as we focus on, on this particular card of opportunity that has been given to us by God, I would suggest that the purpose God has in mind as he allocates 
material possessions fall into the following three areas. And the first one deals with basic needs. And maybe somebody could read Matthew 6, 31 through 33. And just, just kind of wherever you're sitting, just read it out good and loud. Do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we clothe ourselves with? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. <clears throat> but seek first the, his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Okay, thank you. So we see that the first purpose for possessions is for our basic needs. Now that raises a question. And the question is, who determines our basic needs? And although for most of us sitting in this room, probably all of us sitting in this room, as we'll see as we get later into the study, in making a distinction between the first item and the second item. We play a role in determining where the line is drawn after item one, which is basic needs. But in saying that, we still have to keep in mind that God reserves the right to make the final determination on what our basic needs will look like. And that's critical that we, that we embrace that that although he allows us to participate with him in that, that he reserves the right to make the final determination on what our basic needs will look like. Now the second point, and let's look at 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. We won't look up all these verses, and uh, you can go back if you choose later and, and look at some of the additional verses, but let's look at 1 Timothy 6, 17. Somebody read that one out, good and loud, if you would. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Okay. Put our hope in God, who richly provides us all things for what purpose? To enjoy. So. We can, we can conclude then that one of the purposes for our possessions is our enjoyment. To celebrate life and our relationship with God by enjoying what he has provided. To celebrate life and our relationship with God by enjoying what he has provided. And then the third purpose of possessions would be to position our ability to serve others and participate in the ministry of God. To better position ourselves to serve others and participate in the ministry of God. And I just put a couple verses down there, Matthew 28 which deals with the Great Commission, we're to go and make disciples. Mark 10.45, we 
which says that for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That as we look at this issue of, of, of positioning ourselves through our possessions, positioning ourselves to, to serve others and participate in the ministry of God, we need to keep in mind that the focus needs to be centered on people and eternal in nature. And I would say that within, within that parameter, uh, it's wide open as to what would constitute serving others and participating in the ministry. Centered on people and eternal in nature. We do what we do with an eternal focus. As we're involved in the lives of people, it obviously should be with an eternal, an eternal focus. <coughs> Now, items two and three is the area where they become an indicator of our faithfulness, right? Not item one. As we, as we move into item two and item three, how we respond to those becomes an indicator of how faithful we're, we are to the opportunity given, how we're playing the hand of cards that we've been given. Now, if this is God's view, then let me make a couple observations. The first observation would be that there are no other reasons for which God gives us material resources, that this is it. That although we may word it differently and come up with kind of a different twist on some of them, it's my feeling that, that everything we'll come up with will fit, in, fit under one of these three areas. Secondly, second observation is that basic needs, dealing with item one, basic needs are determined between each man and God, and each of us will be accountable to God for our determination. And that, of course, is provided that God gives us the opportunity of drawing that line. Now, anybody who has material resources beyond basic needs is forced into the issue of determining with God where the line gets drawn. Are we together on that? If a person has nothing but basic needs, then they don't have the responsibility of determining where the line is drawn. But for those of us where God has provided beyond our basic needs, we have to, with God, determine where the line is drawn between item one and items two and three. And I think that... Uh, okay. Okay, the, the one, two, three, thank you for bringing that up. Okay, the, the, the three purposes for possessions. Number one, basic needs. Number two, to celebrate life and our relationship with God by enjoying what he's provided. And number three, to position ourselves to better serve others and participate in the ministry. Okay, so those are the three purposes. Okay, now we move into observations. Observations. 
And the first observation is that those are the only purposes. That there are, are the only those three purposes for possessions. That everything else will be a sub-item under those. The second observation is that basic needs are determined between each man and God and that each of us will be accountable to God for, for that determination. That's number two. This is all part of number two. Second observation. <clears throat> Sticking with the second observation, I think we have to, uh, I feel anyway, that it's a difficult thing to pull off in our individual lives, determining where that line should be drawn. And it becomes doubly difficult to determine where it ought to be drawn in somebody else's life. Yes? There are people in this world where he appears not to be sure that they can be. That's the deal. That's why we have to embrace the truth that God reserves the right to ultimately define what a person's basic needs looks like. Because we can point to illustrations where based on our standards, we say, this person's basic needs aren't even being met. But that's from our perspective, that's not from God's perspective. Now, for those of us in this room, we're not in that category. And, and that's, a, that's a, a positive on one side, and, and it's a negative on the other side, because now we are forced with the responsibility of determining where the line's drawn. The line between, uh, for example, between enjoyment and indulgence. Where do we draw that line? We draw it individually between ourselves and God. And it's difficult to draw, isn't it? It's difficult to know all the time if we're right. And it's certainly difficult to determine what it ought to be in somebody else's life. It's easier, though. <laughs> More fun. <laughs> But it's hard, so we can't judge another person on that, on where they've drawn the line. And that's the second observation. The third observation is that anything God gives us beyond number one carries with it additional responsibility and accountability along with the opportunity. And the basic premise is that increased levels of material resources can work to our disadvantage as well as our advantage. To whom much is given, much is required. With the opportunity comes increased responsibility and accountability. Anything God gives us beyond number one, which is our basic needs, carries with it additional responsibility along with the opportunity. I believe that riches should properly be viewed as a blessing, as should everything that comes from God. But we need to understand that with that blessing is added responsibility.
The fourth observation, anything above number one cannot become an expectation that we have of God. Then we're, <laughs> then we're where most, then we're where most of us are. You know, <laughs> the tension we're in. And if we carried it to the to, to to the ultimate truth, we would have to also say that even our definition of number one cannot become an expectation that we have of God. Number four would be anything above number one cannot become an expectation that we have of God. God has committed to us in his word to meet our needs, to meet our basic needs. Anything, anything beyond that is an illegitimate expectation of God. Yes? I think we're encouraged to ask him for things above our basic need, but I think that we're not uh, we're not encouraged to have an to have an expectation tacked onto it. Now, some of your other people here may want to speak to that, and I, but that would be my that would be my feeling. Now, now if you said to me. Uh, when you ask God for things above your basic needs, do you ever have an expectation of it? And I'd say, yeah, but that's because I'm struggling with the truth of some of these issues. Do we want to stay on that? Anybody have any thoughts on that? Gail? Uh, Winston, you, you, you agree with that or you think that that's... How do goals and expectations relate to one another? I would say that a goal is, is uh, something that I s set up that I feel uh, God would have me move in the direction of achieving. But I don't really know for sure. You know, I'm, I'm taking that by faith. I don't really know for sure if, if, that's, if that's what God wants or if God has something else in mind in terms of my ultimate achievement of it. So uh, although when we get involved in goal setting, it's very easy to attach expectations to it, I think that they would be illegitimate expectations. Take what he's given me and and hoard and stop the relationship. What are those basic needs? My food, 
or more than that. Maybe the challenge is whether it's maybe the challenge is, is to to make sure that you're you're in dialogue so mm -hmm. your inclination to possess everything that comes your way you get your hands open. Yeah, well that's good. So maybe it's, it's it's less a, a well I got my needs and I, I got to worry about asking for something beyond my needs. Mm -hmm. It is a dialogue through the whole process. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, as we have that dialogue, our, our, our foundational heart attitude is not my will, but thine be done, right? So, so as, we, as we take things before the Lord, as we, as we ask Him to meet certain needs in our life, uh, we're doing it uh, with the understanding that He knows best and that we really want His ultimate will in our life, even though it's different from what we're asking, even though it may be different. That's a good point. Yes? You said that even definition number one can't become an expectation that we have of God. Um, does, does God ever give any definition of our basic needs in the Bible? The question is whether or not uh, God ever gives a definition of our basic needs in the Bible. And uh, I would say that he uh, gives illustrations of it. But I'd like some of the other fellows to speak to this because I'm not sure that uh, I could point to where he gives a definition of it. Yes? I think so far as the Sermon on the Mount, Christ speaks to the concerns of the day, the needs of the day. And I think there's a real subtle line in the plot that provides needs and wants. Mm -hmm. And in considering it, there's the issue of. of Re-examining the motives inside, and we're either praying for needs or praying for wants, and trying to discern between the two, mm -hmm. and what what motive actually drives us. Yes, Paul says that, and we'll get into those verses a little bit. I would not, I'm not sure I would say, I wouldn't say I would, I'm not sure that I would say that that's a definition of basic needs, but it's certainly an illustration of, of them. Yes? Two years ago, we sort of dissected this. Okay, <laughs> you, you, you grew up on me then. We went from basic, our basic needs to the basic needs for subsistence. And we said, what about the fate of the individual who has lost two children to malnutrition, whose wife is dying, and where there is very little hope for him, perhaps, to survive this situation? He's a Christian. And are his basic needs being met? And I think... What it comes down to, you know, here is God's purpose and God's plan. When you said that even our basic expectations or our basic needs, we should not take for granted. And I, and I really believe mm -hmm. that that's, that's where we're at, that we're dependent upon God mm -hmm. uh, for his will mm -hmm. uh, and purpose in our life. Mm -hmm. And uh, if that means that our family is dies because of hunger, uh, then I think that is perhaps God's plan for us at that particular time. And uh, that's tough, but 
you know? So the definition would be basic need as relative to what God's purpose is in your life right now. Which, which Perfect, yeah. Because yeah. you could be burned at the stake. I mean, yeah. you're not going to be getting food and clothing then. Right. Don't we, yeah. get, don't we really get, have, have a difficult time in trying to perceive what our basic needs are because we have a different value system as far as our physical life goes? We have a temporal. Uh, you mean, the temporal value system is, is we run into trouble defining it. Yeah. God says, precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. Yeah. We don't see it there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Should we move to the next one? Uh, number five, the fifth observation. We kind of touched on this one already, but um, in in the number two category, which is uh, where, where we're enjoying what God has provided, the observation is that the line between enjoying and indulgence is very blurry at best. And again, we have enough trouble determining where that line should be in our own life. And certainly a, a more difficult time determining where it should be in somebody else's life. And I think that there's a, just a natural biblical tension in this area for all of us. You know, what, what is enough? You know, what is legitimate? You know, how many vacations? How many trips? How many things that I'm enjoying is, is proper and, and, and what is crossing the line? And boy, I, because we're all dealt a different hand of cards and we're all uh, responsible for our faithfulness to what we've been given, it just becomes a very difficult thing to define. And, uh, but we're called upon to define it. And the sixth observation is, and this deals with the third area where we get into uh, ministry issues, positioning ourselves to serve others. The, si the sixth observation is that we, we give, as we give of ourselves and as we give of our material resources in these areas, we do it to demonstrate to God where our value system is. As we look at our giving, as we look at what we invest our life in, as we look at what we invest our resources in, in this third category, it will be a reflection of our value system. And so it's our opportunity to demonstrate to God where our value system is. It's an opportunity for us to, to uh, demonstrate in a concrete way to God that we have put our chips in his circle and that, that we're buying in to his value system as opposed to the value system of the world. Let me just summarize this, uh, this second section. Possessions are given to us by God to meet our basic needs and as one of the opportunities to respond faithfully in how we invest them. Possessions can work for us 
and as we properly steward them, be a blessing to many, or they can work against us by simply upping the ante of responsibility. Which it will be is up to each one of us on an ongoing basis as we wrestle with the whole issue of how, how to steward the material resources that God's entrusted to us. Any thoughts before we move off of this second section we, on the, uh, the purpose of possessions? Yes? Possessions can work for us, and as we properly steward them, they can become a blessing to many. Or they can work against us, in a sense, by simply upping the ante of responsibility, by simply increasing the level of responsibility. To whom much is given, of him much shall be required. Okay, so we've looked at the, the principle governing possessions, which is all comes from God. We've looked at the purpose of possessions, which fall into these three categories. And now we'll take a look at the dangers of riches. Now we're shifting from the broader concept of possessions <laughs> to the more specific issue of riches. Sure, yeah. Chapter four, if you would please. By the way, are there any extra handouts? A couple people that were missing a handout. Any extras on the tables? Okay, there's one in the back. The, the copy machine broke down downstairs, and I, I brought a hundred of them, and uh, I was going to make a few extra, but the copy machine's not working, so we'll have to work with what we have. Okay, Mark, Mark chapter 4. And as I indicated be before we took the break, we're now, we're shifting, we need to kind of make a shift in our thinking from the, the broader issue of possessions in general to the more specific issue of riches. And riches, as you recall, we defined as material possessions or resources beyond our basic needs. Anything beyond our basic needs would fall into the category of what we're now dealing with. And although we've seen that riches represent just one of the cards of opportunity that God has given to us, I think it's Im important for us to see that it is a very unique card. And it is unique in that it has an unusual ability to deceive us. And for that reason, I think it's been a major, major tool in the hand of the enemy to get us off track. And we know that Jesus talked much about money. And much of what he said was in the form of, of a warning. 
And one of those places is in Mark chapter 4. And we'll take a look at verse 19. We'll go, go back to verse 18. And this is the parable of the sower, of course. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word. And the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. The worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things have the ability to enter in and choke the word out of our life and make us unfruitful. And what we'll be looking at is the issue of the deceitfulness of riches. I just don't feel, we'll see how you guys feel about it, but I just don't feel that we, we recognize the potential danger in the area of money. Now, if we have a buddy in the faith that we're involved with and we see that that person is uh, potentially involved in a dangerous uh, relationship with the opposite sex, let's say, we would not hesitate to, to confront the person, to warn them, to encourage them, to try to help them not go down that, that path, right? I mean, we, we wouldn't hesitate to do that. But with all that the Bible has to say about the deceitfulness of riches, I don't think we respond the same way, for example, when, when a guy gets a, a windfall and all of a sudden, you know, hits a big deal and got an extra 100 grand or 50 grand or whatever the issue is. And the tendency is to kind of, you know, pat him on the back and, boy, that's great and what a blessing. And yet, as we look at the scripture, we, we've got to conclude that there is a good chance that from an eternal perspective, it would turn out to be anything but a blessing. And I'm not suggesting that we you know, push the panic button or we go try to tell the guy what he ought to do with his money or anything like that, but we, we ought to at least do two things, I think. Number one is let the person know of the potential danger. And as we work through some of these issues on, on, the, on the dangers, it'll give us some, some things to look at. But secondly, at a minimum, we should uh, inform the person of the increased responsibility that they just inherited from an eternal perspective. And I don't know how it is here in the Springs, but I'll tell you, in San Diego, we don't do that much. And we're just, just now really looking at this issue hard. Talk back to me. Are you guys doing that here? Or, or is it the same here? Nobody's got a win. <laughs> Well, I think that uh, we're, we're about in the same boat in San Diego, at least in the real estate business. There are no windfalls. But I, I think it's an issue that, uh, that we've overlooked. And, and maybe it's because 
of what Jesus focused on, and that is that riches are deceitful. Well, what does deceitful mean? I'm deceived when something causes me to think a different way than what it really is. When, when I look at this and I see something else, I've been tricked. You know, self-deception. And that's what riches can do to us. Now, there are many things that God encourages us to ask him for. But he says in 1 Timothy 6 that we are not to ask him to make us rich. And by rich, I mean that we would have financial independence to the degree that we have no need for God in the area of our finances. Seeking to create a financial environment in which I can be independent from God. And God says, of all the things I encourage you to ask me for, that's one thing I'm telling you, don't ask me. Because it's not in your best interest. And even if God chooses to give us much, we need to avoid being deceived into thinking that it can make us independent from our need for God. And this, of course, is a, it's a, it's a false perception in of itself. 1 Timothy 6. Yeah, the whole passage, uh, uh, verse 9 on through the end of the chapter. And so the encouragement is, if you don't have riches, then don't seek them. If you have riches, then don't seek more. And the key word is seek. Why the God gives them to us if he chooses. No, we're not. And I would say that that's yeah. I would say that that's dangerous. I would say that there's a distinction between uh, uh, seeking to uh, move into a particular job arena or seeking to be excellent in our vocations, which we're very much admonished to do in Scripture, uh, and seeking to be rich. I think we, we ultimately have to trust God with the bottom line. When Winston mentioned earlier, is it okay to pray for beyond our basic needs? If, if riches are defined as those things beyond our basic needs, then how does that all work? I think we're, and that's a good question. I th for me, I think where it works, and I, and I agree, we're in an area where it's a fine line, but there has to be a distinction between seeking and asking. Okay? If I ask God for something, I ask God, Lord, this is what I'd like. As I see my life, this is what I'd like to have. You know, this is why I think that this would be good for me. But Lord, you know I, I want your will. That's not seeking. That's, that's asking. You have not because you ask not. God is a loving Father that wants to give us things to enjoy. Richly gives us all things to enjoy. 1 Timothy 6, 8, 17, I think. But that's different from seeking it. When I seek it, 
I drive for it. I push for it. I don't accept God's answer. I lay up awake at night thinking about it. I, 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 maybe I even get to the point where I compromise some of my convictions in the pursuit of it. And, and God forbid, maybe I even get to the point where I break the commands of God in pursuit of it. That's seeking. So when you go beyond the, when you start to break commandments is when you start to seek. I think, it's a, I think it's a focus issue. I think it happens long before that. I think for many of us, we could be seeking and we haven't even come close to breaking the commands yet. It's a motive. Because James says that you ask and you do not receive because you ask the wrong motive. Yes. Because you're seeking it for your own pleasure. Yep. Rather than for the glory of God. Or maybe we're just seeking it uh, as a demonstration of our dependence on God, and, and uh, but we're willing to accept His answer. Yeah. Yes. A few years ago, we had Ron Blue up here, and one of his uh, goals that he was instructing us on was to uh, set a goal of financial independence. I believe that's still part of his program. I don't know what exactly he well I, I I do not know Ron blue personally but I have read some of his stuff and I know people who know of him and speak highly of him as a, as a godly person and I would I would bet that uh, if he were here his definition of financial independence would differ from the one that I just used, which is the idea of seeking independence from God and seeking to be in a posture of, of not needing to be dependent on God. Now, uh, that's just uh, kind of off the... I didn't hear what he said, and, and I don't know him personally, but uh, we probably uh, are not quite as opposed as it may initially seem. Yes? I think a lot of what Ron focused on during that time was the freedom from, from debt, uh, independence from getting into debt situations which will enslave you, and that type of thing. I didn't perceive it as being completely independent of God to our finances. Yeah. Yes, sir. Oh, Jeff, I just, I feel like I'm sitting here and not being honest if I don't um, talk just a little bit about um, you had uh, indicated that you feel like um, we should not expect anything if we ask God for things beyond our needs. And I guess I, I just feel differently about that. I think that uh, God's the source of all things. I, I personally expect things when uh, I talk to God. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that... Uh, this attention is where um, where you demand of God. I think that James says, uh, uh, you know, don't say that I will do this or I will do that. Say the Lord willing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I will do <coughs> that. And I think that's uh, uh, in a business area probably that's on beyond um, basic needs. At least I've taken it as that. And uh, I guess that's a subject that's uh, kind of dear to me because that's what God works with me and works me over. Yeah. Just constantly. He is trying to keep things in proper order. He says, as, as we read, seek him first. And that's a tough kind of Yeah. Because my tendency is to seek him because I want them. 
understand and speak him first. Mm -hmm. So um, I think in, in my view, um, and I'd like to talk about it, if my needle drops, I'd like to know it. Uh, I would like to say that uh, if you start demanding of God, you know, he's got the right answer. He's got all the marbles. Mm -hmm. What he decides to give is worth that. But uh, if you start demanding, then you're in bad trouble. <coughs> but I, I don't think it's wrong to take the fact. Because you know he's the guy who's got it. I appreciate you saying that because I think that, that is, it, it, what it's doing is clarifying kind of what I said and that's the benefit of interaction when we can you know when I can say something and I kind of have some uh, a meaning to it and and uh, I would agree with what you just said and I think that that to go back and maybe put a little bit more clarification on my statement when I ask God for something uh, I do expect in the sense of uh, it's my relationship with God he has told me to come boldly to the throne of grace that I might receive grace and find help in time of need. I, I do expect in that. What I was trying to make a distinction between is the, uh, the expectation of God laying down uh, a promise in a certain area. And I think in that regard, God has committed himself to the issue of our basic needs. He's gone on record with that. He has not committed himself to all the individual specific things that I may ask him for that are over and above that. Although I would agree with you, I come to God expectantly and uh, in a positive sense. And uh, so uh, are we together on that? Okay, I, I appreciate you bringing that out because that, that would have been a wrong impression for, for me to have left. Yeah, I think that, yeah, the terminology we're using with, yeah. And I think the word demand, I think, kind of, you know, is it something in our heart where we say, hey, this is, you know, God has got to do this. God, I got, I got God in the corner on this issue, and he is, he's obligated. If my heart is right, then yeah. I'm going to accept whatever he does. Yeah. Do I feel God is obligated? Yeah. Yeah. But if I think he's obligated, then I'm in trouble. Yeah. Yes, sir. Or I think even feeling that God is obligated, obligated to, to, to do something in a certain way that we have prescribed. Christ in the garden said, yeah. Yeah, take yeah. this cup from me, <coughs> nevertheless, nevertheless yeah. I will be done. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. In our professional lives, uh, we'll take a look at the talents we have and, and try to find a uh, field that Of that, we start maybe believing that we've done this, and 
about this, when indeed we've just been offered a little addition since we did this, then we get a little more talent or responsibility. The responsibility is the part that eventually becomes a problem, I think, where we have to accept the responsibility of what God has given us and not of what we have earned. And I think all of us go through that at many stages in our growth. Yeah. I understand the expectation aspect. I get a little worried for me when we talk asking God versus seeking the issue because I think as men we're motivated to a certain extent, different extents, that if we have a goal and we ask God, like a, say a Christian treasure hunter, we ask God to find treasure, but then he goes about his business of seeking with all his might to find treasure. And I get a little blurred on, on which one's right and which one's wrong, or are they both right? Because I know if, if we ask God for something, a lot of times as men, we, we really go to seek it out. And is that wrong? I think we're into a definition of seek, but if we, if we would define seek as I defined it, which is uh, something that becomes a compelling drive of your life, uh, you're per, something you're pursuing, uh, then I think that what we're told to do is to seek the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. And all these other things will be added unto us. And that if we go into a mode of, of truly seeking the temporal, that we're on dangerous ground, I think. If we choose to stop the pursuit of excellence in the talent that God's given us, is that uh, also failing in, in uh, uh, trying to reap the benefits of the gift that God's given us? In other words, if I'm, if I'm really good at something and I don't pursue that to its fullest here on earth, is that a sin? Yeah, and I'd like to hold that, if I could, because we're going to specifically deal with the issue of excellence in the marketplace and so on, if we could. Okay, Brent? Okay, why don't we move into, uh, we can get through some of this. Um, we're we're going to look at five, five specific dangers that we should be aware of. And uh, this is not uh, an exhaustive list, and we could probably add five more to it, but maybe these five are kind of, kind of ones we can all identify with, hopefully. And, and uh, I would really encourage you to, to, to look at these these five issues, these five dangers, 
and, and maybe zero in on one or two where you look at it and you go, boy, that's, that's me, you know, I'm, that's me, I'm right there. And, and just take this thing further when you leave the conference and, and, and do your own study on it and uh, probe these issues in your own life. The first danger is that riches can create a false sense of independence and security. Now, this is part of the deceitfulness of riches because independence, as we know, is the path away from a relationship with God. And in reality, we are never less secure than when we think we are independent from God and have no need for him. Now, it, is a, it is a flat-out deception that riches can create a sense of independence and security. But I think it is a fact that they do, if we allow them. And, and, the, and the, the reality is that the opposite is true. That we are never less secure than when we think we're independent from God and don't have any need for him. Jesus said that it is hard for a rich man to get into heaven, Matthew 19, 23. Harder for a rich man to get into heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And I think that this is one of the key reasons why that, that statement is true. The whole issue of an attitude of independence. And to the degree that we think we can control the issues in our life, we develop an attitude of independence. Finances give us the illusion that we can control them. Danger number two, riches can deceive a person into thinking that his finances have been brought under the lordship of Christ. Riches can deceive a person into thinking that his finances have been brought under the lordship of Christ. Now, I remember when, when I became a new believer, uh, 1976, I'm in the kind of the middle of my, my business career and, and uh, real estate market in San Diego, unlike today, was uh, a real haven and a lot of people were doing well and, and I kind of rode the, the wave along with a lot of other people and and things were, things were going well. And uh, right in the middle of that, I come to Christ through the, through the testimony of my wife, who came to Christ uh, through her manicurist, sharing uh, the four spiritual laws with her. So, real trail there. But, uh, and like many areas um, of my life, I simply superimposed my Christianity over my existing value system. And the whole area of finances was one of them, maybe one of the biggest ones. And so I was giving and knew that I should be giving. I got involved in, in, in uh, different mission organizations and our church and so on. And, and uh, I'm given uh, because the business is going well, I'm, everybody's comparing. And so I feel like I'm doing pretty good in this area. And... Uh, I'd like us to look in Matthew 19. I was just going to refer to this, but I think it would be worth us looking at. Matthew 19, I, I remember coming across this verse. 
Matthew 19, verse 21. And here I am, I'm about a year old in the Lord, or two years old in the Lord, and, and uh, I'm dealing with certain issues in my life like we all do and we all have, and, and uh, finances, of course, is one of the issues, but, but in the area of finances, I really feel I'm okay. And I came across this passage in uh, Matthew 19, 21. Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieved, for he was one who owned much property. And I remember uh, coming across that passage and just kind of brushing over it. You'd think that the uh, reasonable response to that passage, particularly for someone who just read it for the first time, would be to kind of ask the question, well, gee, I wonder, wonder what I would do if I'd have been in that guy's shoes. You know, what, what would my response be if Jesus were to say that to me? And, uh, and of course, that's the way we, we internalize the word and and, and, and hopefully create some application in our life as we, we, we take these verses and we, we, we look at them with a view to application. So we say, how, how would we respond to that? And, uh, but I didn't even think of that. And I didn't think about it because I'd been deceived into thinking that that was one area of my life, might have been the only one, <laughs> but it was one area of my life where I didn't really have any need. I, I had that under the Lordship of Christ. After all, I was giving to these different organizations and church and so on. And I think that uh, that, that is a deception. That uh, pride plays a big part. Uh, probably the central part. But any time an issue can keep us from dealing with God on something that we need to deal with him on, it's a dangerous deception, right? No matter what the issue is. And so this is one. And uh, so then I'm, I'm kind of bopping along in my Christian life, and I get into the, the mid-'80s and uh, ran into a brick wall and started experiencing all kinds of financial difficulty and setbacks and Things kept getting tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter, and the finances were getting tighter. And uh, something was being revealed as God was kind of kind of stripping some of these things out of my life. Uh, I didn't take too kindly to it. I didn't like it, and I found myself uh, resenting it. And kind of trying to hold on. And I came across this passage again um, ten years after the first time. I'm sure I'd read it many times in between, but I came across it. And uh, my God just just nailed me on it. And uh, I don't, I don't uh, profess to have this issue totally intact today, but I'm dealing with it. And uh, the point is that riches can deceive a person into thinking they don't have to deal with that issue. And uh, I'm not saying it's the most critical issue, but it is, an, it is an issue that God wants us to deal with. 
The third danger is that riches can create an unbiblical sense of self-worth and significance. Now, the Bible tells us that our significance is based on what? God's declaration of our value. Good. Good answer. That's great. Our significance is based on God's declaration of our value. It is based on the fact that God says we're significant. It is based on his love and acceptance of us in spite of our depravity. We are significant because God declares us to be of significance. And based on that, we draw our self-worth from that. But I would submit to you that riches <coughs> have the ability to replace those legitimate sense of self-worth and significance with an illegitimate sense of self-worth and significance. And I remember um, when I was 16 years old, back in Ohio, and I can just almost bring the, bring the feelings back of a Saturday afternoon and having a full tank of gas and five bucks in my pocket and just, you know, no school that day and just got the car washed and, and just, you know, how that felt. And uh, it takes more than $5 today, but the, but the principle is there that if we're not careful, riches can deceive us into an unbiblical sense of self-worth. And they feed this wrong view of significance. Riches can make us feel of value for all the wrong reasons. And as we, as we work in the marketplace and, and uh, interact in, in uh, arenas that we do, uh, I just think it's a critical issue for us men. And there's just an awful lot of uh, fuzzy thinking that's taken place, and uh, it, it has the ability to sidetrack us. Number four, riches can tempt us with the sin of greed and covetousness. It can feed the greedy aspect of our old nature and simply create a desire for more. There's a verse in uh, Ecclesiastes 5 where it says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. It's insatiable. It's not going to meet our needs. It's not going to satisfy us. What it's going to do is it's going to create a desire for more. And as that desire for more is created and fed, then greed and covetousness set in. It causes to use people for personal gain, produces worry and anxiety. Our energy ends up being divided between trying to get my share and trying to keep what I have. It, 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 just, it sucks our motivation. 
And contrary to what the marketplace tells us, we know that greed and covetousness are wrong. They're wrong because God has declared them to be wrong. And we know that they, 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 they poison relationships. They take us out of the ministry right off the bat. You can't use and manipulate a person and serve them at the same time. Now, there's great gain in God's economy. And God has given us a desire and the drive for gain. But we need to direct it in pursuit of the eternal. Is never a product of using others, but of serving others. Serving others for eternal gain is biblical. Serving for temporal gain is manipulation and using of people. And riches, because the more you get, the more you want, feed the desire to use and manipulate people because greed gets a hold of us. Now, how do I check myself? How do I go into a real estate deal with the right attitude? Do I, do I develop this attitude that I, I'm going into this deal and I don't really care what the financial outcome is? Of course not. I can't do that. I can't do that. You may be able to do that. I can't do that. I do care what the financial outcome is. I go into the deal anticipating a positive financial outcome or else I wouldn't go into the deal. And what kind of a steward would we be if we didn't have that attitude? But that's different from going into the deal for the purpose of temporal reward. There are many reasons why we invest our time and money in our vocations and in other business ventures, not the least of which is that it's the arena God's given us to function in. It's a place where God has given us the uh, right and responsibility to represent him. It's part of our calling, part of where God's put us. It's, it's our platform for the ministry, as Winston brought up last night. And I'm to represent him in that arena in the best fashion that I can. I am responsible to do my job with as much excellence as possible. It is the, the, uh, the excellence of my work much of the time that will give me the credibility to have an influence in another person's life. But the key is that we're not to seek it. We can receive it, even from the marketplace. We can use it, we steward it, we give it away, but we're not to seek it. Jesus said that... Go ahead. I don't seek anything. I anticipate... No, I anticipate. As I just said, I go into the deal anticipating a positive financial outcome. Otherwise, I'd be foolish to go into the deal. But again, we've defined seek here in a couple of different ways, and I think that's crucial to, to understanding what we're saying here. It's not that we don't anticipate it. It's not that we don't want it to, ha to have a positive outcome. It's that we don't seek it. Expectation and anticipation? Are they one of the same? 
I would say no. I would say no. So you want to maximize it without exploiting anybody. Is that? Yeah. You can make it a good deal for everybody and you can feel good about it. Is that right? Is that wrong? No, I think that, that is right. I think that, but I think that's just one ingredient that we all have to deal with in how we do business. But I think that is an important ingredient. Yeah, I think that's well put, yeah. I have a problem with the expectation. Dwayne, i got to take you on, Will. Um, because I, I see no difference between an expectation and a demand. If, if we say, God, we want X, Y, and Z, just because we lay it before the throne uh, doesn't, just because in that act, get us off the hook of expecting the result to look the way we have defined that result to be. That's different from what you're saying. When you go to the closing table and anticipating that there will be a financial gain there, I say that if you expect there to be a financial gain and you are laying an agenda on God that will show itself when that how you does deal. not turn out. And, I, and that's the way that I measure where my focus is. If I get mad at God because of the way it turns out, then I'm obviously seeking that as an end in itself. But if I'm if I'm going to the table in hope that you know I'm making the best I'm rolling the dice, but if I trust God for the result, I'm anticipating the result, but I'm not I, I don't get mad if the result isn't the way I define it, and that's why I get real nervous about expectation. I mean, yeah, that, that's why I said that I uh, I would make a distinction between anticipating and, and expectation. I think expectation carries with it the idea of of obligation on God's part. To act in a, in a way that we define. Mm -hmm. You know, my little boy, when he comes to me, there's a real difference in, 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 I can tell when he expects me to act in a very particular way. And when I don't, his reaction is exactly the way my reaction is when I go out of focus. That's different when he comes to me in hope. That's different when he comes to me and says, I'm not sure what we want to do, Daddy, but let's, you know, let's go this direction. It's a whole different yeah. flavor. I think it's the same with us. I'm sitting here listening is you have to differentiate between hope and faith hope is always future tense I hope something will happen faith is acting today by faith I have it right now even though it may not have manifested in the natural you know that it's going to because God has birthed that into your heart so the bottom line is in my heart where is this motive coming from? And I, am I hoping that it might happen down the road? It's, it's said like this, is that your expectation of God's performance can go no further than, than the known will of God. In other words, if I don't know that it's God's will for me to be involved in whatever vocation you know, I have chosen in God's parameters, then how can I expect anything to manifest right now if I don't know that it's God's will for me to be involved in it? If I don't know that it's God's will, then I'm hoping 
that someday I'll find it out here in the nebulous by and by. But if I'm in God's will, I know by faith that I'm where I should be and it will manifest. Whether that deal that you're going into closes or not is irrelevant because you know that if God has called you to be in real estate and part of that is closing deals, then the peace that passes all understanding is there with you whether that deal closes or not because you know that you're where you should be and eventually the law of averages, which is universal, will take over and if you don't close that one, evaluate. Did I make a mistake? Did I do something wrong? Was I, was I in the way of, of letting this happen? If not, then you have to assume that it's God's will that it didn't happen or, Absolutely. or you have to assume that the timing is just not right and if I go back next week, and take care of these little problems that cropped up, then it will close. But the key that I've learned, two things is, the Holy Spirit always leads, but demons drive. Am I driven to get this deal done? If there's no peace in it, I'm out of order. But if I'm being led of the Holy Spirit at such a fast pace, and I'm thinking, dear Lord, how can this deal close so easy? You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that's God's will. You have to watch out because I've learned too that if you're a headstrong person, the enemy will pull off all resistance from you and he'll shoot out into the stratosphere so far ahead of God's timing that you'll wake up and go, where am I at? What, what, what's happened here? Mm -hmm. So the devil can get you by holding you down or letting you go. You have to be sensitive as to who is doing the, the pushing here mm -hmm. or the leading. If mm -hmm. it's a leading, it'll be peaceable, easy to be understood, no matter how fast it's going or how slow it's going. If it's, that, if it's an unsettledness in here in your heart, and that's why the Lord commands us to get quiet before him and listen to the small, still voice. Because you can't do that if you're constantly up here fighting back and forth with what is right and what is wrong and am I in the will of God. And everybody here, we all, if we're honest, deal with what is God's will for my life today. You know, and that's what's applicable today. So I, I throw that out as a challenge to really look at it in light of faith is now and, and God said, without faith, it's impossible to please him. So, so if, if we look at it in terms of hope is down the road somewhere, but faith is today, you know, that helps me to define what my purpose is when I go into whatever I'm dealing in, whether it's real estate or insurance or going in to do a, a doctor doing an operation, you know, because if, if I know God's with me and I know that he's designed that I do that today, then the and outcome is up to him. Yeah, you're on safe ground. I'm, I'm in yeah. peace about whatever happens, and he will always meet my needs in that. In that we're never time. safer than we're in, when we're in the will of God. Oh, sure. Thank you. Winston, what do you want to do? We're at 10 o'clock. Well, that's what the, uh, the schedule showed, 10, so we'll pick it back up. No, we haven't done five. We're going we're gonna to get that when we come back along with the benefits of riches. You want Good point. Okay.